We're starting a new series today, a short series, because we have some cool stuff coming up. Uh, but I, doing it on this idea of prayer. And I'm wanting to be, make it very applicable, very um, in a way that we can relate. And answering some of the hard questions of why we don't pray. Have you ever had anybody that you're close to say those words to you? Say, hey, we need to talk. You know, and that, that, that's the idea of, okay... Communication's not what it should be, and, and we're distant, we're disconnected in this, and we're not, our, our hearts aren't being knit. We, we need to talk. We need to sit down and go through this. We, we need to be open. We need to be real. We need to be honest. A lot of times we have shallow communication with God. If, if, if a lot of Christians that I talk to, a lot of people would survey and say, I struggle with my prayers. It's not real. It's not, it's not what it should be between me and God. And that, that's just, you, you know, I, I've heard people that say, man, I fall on my face and I pray all night long and revivals that came. And we just look at it. We compare ourselves to that saying, man, I struggle getting through five minutes of prayer. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it right. I don't know if I'm saying it the way that I should be. We struggle with this. And the thing is, we would all say, is prayer important? Yes. Does prayer move the heart of God? Does does prayer change things? The Bible says that it, it, it would heal our land if we pray and get our hearts right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'd say, does God hear your prayers? And you'd be like, I, I think. I mean, I just don't have that connection like, like I hear about and see if people say. And turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, while you're there, I'm going to give you another passage of Matthew. Jesus was teaching and he was talking about the power of believing in God, the power of believing in what he says and Jesus said in Matthew 17, he said, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say to you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And it says, Howbeit, this goeth not out by prayer and fasting. It's like, well, wait a minute. The, the prayer, the power of what God is saying for us to have or that we could have is so powerful that, that, that whatever mountain is in your life, and it's just a visual, God says, that, God says the power of prayer moves mountains, changes nation, revives the dead of spiritually awakening and, and these things that it's supposed to be. So why is it so hard for us? Jesus, in Matthew 6, is having an honest conversation about prayer. So we're going to have an honest conversation of prayer and get into this. It's not so much like we normally do with messages of prayer. I don't want to go into this is how to pray. It, it is. But the mindset of what it should be when we walk into prayer with God. And people would say, I don't, I don't feel like God listens to me. I don't, I don't feel like I'm good at it. New, new Christians would be like, I'm, not just, I'm just not good at it. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it right. For those that have grown up in church, it's easy for us because we almost like push a play button. You guys know what I'm talking about? We ask somebody in church to stand up and pray or, or for dinner or whatever, and it's like, we can, we can just rattle it off. I mean, we're just good at it. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this food. We thank you for everything that you're doing for us. Blessed food, bless this day. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Let's eat. And it's like pushing the play button. You know, we just rattle it off. You know, for new believers, they're like, one of the biggest fears they have in their life is don't ask me to stand and pray. You know, you're in a group or a setting, it's like, please don't call on me, please. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it right. You know what I'm saying? It's one of the fears that they have in their life. It's a fear. A bigger fear would be that it becomes so routine that it's, it's lost all meaning or value. 
You think about this. You know, when somebody prays and they say, man, have you ever had anybody compliment your prayer? And it's like, you get done and say, man, you pray really well. That was a great prayer. Have you ever had anybody say? And you think about it. If it's just having a conversation with God or communicating, do we do that with anybody else? Does your spouse go through McDonald's and order and you say, Honey, you order McDonald's really well. I'm, I'm telling you, the way you threw in, can I have extra sauce, was just like, wow. We, we don't do that with anything else. But somebody can be like communicating with God, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. You really know how to talk to God. It, it's almost like we don't understand what it is meant to be. It's not a religious ceremony when it comes to so help me out, turn to Matthew 6, and we're going to look at verse 5, and we're going to go through this. And he says, when thou prayest. Now, the word pray means to commune with God, means to talk with God, means to worship. It means to put your attention or your focus on God. It's when you pray, when you talk to God, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. They love praying, standing in the synagogues, in the corner of the streets, that they might be seen of men. Verily I say to you that they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet. When thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth the things that ye have need of before ye ask him. Here's this honest conversation he had to. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the phonies, the fakes that he was calling out, the hypocrites, they, they, they would go out and they would, they would pray, pray on the street corners. They would pray outside of the synagogues and they would stand there and like puff out their chest. They, they were known as like the religious people, like the pastors or the TV evangelists or whatever of their era. So when people would gather around and be like, oh, kids, be quiet. The, the Pharisees pray and like, Oh, did you hear that? And they would want to be around. It would be like a show. And they would stand there on the corner and they'd be like, Dear God. And they would put out all these eloquent words and they would say it. And they would be emotional and they would be all into it. They would draw attention to people doing it. And people would be like, ooh, ah. But the problem was that people started setting that as a standard. So when people would walk away from those people, believers, they'd be walking, well, I can't pray like that. <clears throat> Man, I... I mumble through my prayers. I don't know the right things to say. I don't know how to, I don't know if I can sit, talk like that. They talk all eloquent and things like this. So here's the thing. I want to, I want to do a reset in our minds. Like do what Jesus was doing saying, can I just have a honest conversation about what this is really about? So here, your, your attitude of prayer will change. Your attitude of prayer, approaching prayer will change when you approach him as your father. Now, let, let me explain that because sometimes we, we don't get this and say, well, of course you approach him as your father. But it's a mindset of who you're walking in to talk to. Now, I hate using some illustrations because I have to tell on myself of things that I did wrong in my life. But here we go. When I was 16 years old, um, I was driving to work. I just got a car. I got a job. I worked for Winn-Dixie. That was a southern grocery store. Winn-Dixie. We had Piggly Wiggly. And we had Winn-Dixie, okay? We were as southern as you can get in Alabama, all right? And so I got a job working for Winn-Dixie, and I'm driving to work. And for the first time in my life, I look in my rearview mirror, and there is the blue lights, okay? Which is, just makes your heart sink. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, no. 
never been pulled over, didn't know what to expect. I pull over, he pulls over, he comes up and he says, you know why I pulled you over? And I said, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was like, did I do something wrong or whatever? And he goes, you were doing 55 and a 45. And I was like, I had no idea that this was 45. And he said, well, it is, it's 45 or 55 or it's 45 and you're doing 55. I don't even know my own story here. So he is, I'll be right back. And I knew what that meant. He was going to go write me a ticket. And I'm sitting there, I'm frustrated. And I'm like, I don't have money for this. I don't want my insurance to go up. I was so irritated. And I literally look up and right out of my window, there's a sign that said 55 miles per hour. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is some sort of speed trap or something else. And I was so frustrated. And he came back and I didn't even know this was a thing. He came back and he said, um, he said, you can, you, you can take this to court and fight this. And I'm like, you, you know, that's right. That's exactly what I'm going to do because this is not right. I'm taking this to court. Now, I didn't know. The only thing I knew of court was what you see on TV. You know what I'm saying? I thought it was going to be exhibit A, and we now called Tony to the witness stand, and I was going to go in there and fight my course or my case in this. And, you know, they sit there and say, Tony, we want the truth. We're going to be ready. You can't handle the truth. Let's stand up and nothing like that. Here I am, I'm walking into that courtroom. I am scared. It's just a, a redneck little hole in the wall court in, in Priceville, Alabama. I'm, I'm, I'm going in there and uh, they, they had us all come up and I'd have to go before. And I, I didn't think that I would be, but I was so nervous. I didn't know this judge. I just knew that he had the power with that hammer. It was like Thor being able to throw me in jail or something. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I just knew that this was serious stuff. And, and I went up there, he called my name, and I was like nervous. And, and I said, I, I, do you believe you should get a ticket? No, I shouldn't have this. And I pleaded my case of what happened. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, the right sign in the right place. And I was doing the speed limit and all this other stuff. And he just looked at me and said, son, go sit down. I was like, oh, no. I was like, I just made him mad. I was like, I don't know how many years of prison I'm getting for taking off a judge. But, you know, I, I go sit down, and at the end of it, I didn't realize I was one of three teenagers that went there to do the same thing. He called all three of us up at the end of it, and he said, do you know what irritates me about this? Because he says, all of you have parents that are going to have to have their insurance get jacked up because of you guys speeding. And he said, so I'm not going to put points on your license. You're all being sentenced to driving school. You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for court fees. So I paid more than what I should I had to go to driving school all day long and give up a Saturday because of that. And I'm thinking, when I walked in there, I was so confident of what I was going to do, of having that confidence of pleading my case. But here it is. I had the wrong, I had this view of him being the judge. I was scared. I was nervous. I was worried about condemnation. I was worried about the hammer coming down. I was worried about being in trouble. It changed my whole spirit. It changed my thinking. It changed my attitude. Guys, let, let me just lay this out. Is God our judge? Is he the creator? Is he all, yes, yes, yes. But you've got to understand the relationship that God is calling us to, to understand where we're at, what we're supposed to do when we come before him. You see, you have to understand when the Old Testament, when they would pray, they'd go into the Holy of Holies. You know that it was so <clears throat> distant for them to walk into the Holy of Holies that they would tie a rope around the priest's leg in case they died that they could not go into the Holy of Holies because they would die. They had bells on the bottom of their clothes in case they heard the bell stopped and then they would know that something happened. They would have to pull them out and there was all these rituals and they'd have to wash themselves and walk into the Shekinah glory of God and walk. 
And all of a sudden, in our mindset today, we almost approach prayer like that. Jesus came as a baby, born into a family, 33 years, died on the cross. And he cried out the words, it is finished. A lot of things happened in that moment, but one of the things that happened is that veil that separated man from the fellowship and the intimacy with God, God reached down from heaven, and the Bible tells us that he ripped the veil in half from top to bottom, tore down that wall that separated man from God. The fear that that I can't go in there, I'm going to be judged, I could fall dead. God was like, no more. It's gone. He ripped it up. He tore it apart. He tore down the wall that separated us. And everything that Jesus taught after that, he was teaching about declaring him as the father. Now, the Old Testament referenced God as father, the father of Israel. But the New Testament, Jesus came and says, I am of my father. I've come to my father. He said in verse 9 of Matthew 6, he said, when you pray, pray our father. He changed it. Changed the way that we view it. Changed the way that we approached it. Let me borrow your imagination for a minute. There was a time that Jesus was doing, and he was changing the culture. It was changing how they would do things. Kids during that culture were not... They didn't run in the store. They didn't get what they wanted. I mean, they were off to the side. They were to be quiet and unseen. Jesus is teaching one day. Here he comes to all these little kids running up that they wanted to be see Jesus. The Pharisees stand up and rebuke him. So no, you can't come to Jesus. He doesn't have time for this. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And he said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me. And forbid them not. Now we use this as an example of how God loves kids. And that is true. God loves kids. God wants the kids. During Bible school and things that we have, we're emphasizing that, man, God loves children. Was this the main point? It was part of the point. But at the end of that verse, it says, Suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not. But listen to the illustration that he says. For such is the kingdom of God. He said, do you you guys not see what's going on? I am the Father. And the children want to run up and embrace me. Now notice what Jesus did after that. He didn't just say, okay, kids, it's nice to have you. Now run along. The Bible says that he stopped and he took them up in his arms. He put his hands on them and he blessed them. It's the opposite of what they were expecting. It's like, wait, wait a minute. I thought you were God. Aren't you Jesus, the Son of God? And you're just going to pick up kids and hold them in the arm and bless them and laugh with them and and spend time with them? See, Jesus was being personal, interactive, caring, loving, compassionate to his kids. Go back to verse 6. Look at this. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father well, see, it's in secret, so reward the open. Now, now, we say this all the time. Say, it's not religion. You know what I'm saying? That's our, that's our catchphrase. It's not religion. It is a relationship. It's not a religion. It is a relationship. Do we view that the way that God has called us to view that in regards to prayer? It's not it's, He is our Father. Look that up in the Greek. It literally means parent. That is the exact definition. He is our parent. So this is not just about prayer. It's not just about what we're saying. Pause on that. That's important. We're going to revisit some of that next week. But I want to uh, reboot our mind of our approach to God. Not, not walking to a courtroom, standing before that, fear and trembling of what's going to happen next. 
But I don't want you to understand who you are talking to because that matters. You see, this is a relationship between a father and kids. And I'm going to tell you guys, and my kids are in here, and, and I, I are, when I do illustrations and I talk about my kids, I talk to my kids that I'm going to be talking about them because I never want them to just be uh, an illustration. I want them to know that I respect them and the relationship that we have. But it's a big deal for me to have my kids in my life. It's a really big deal. And I'm going to tell you, and I, I tell them this all the time, they'll never fully understand how much I love them. Any parent here knows that. I'll get on to them and be like, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? What time is dad? No, no, you don't understand. What, what are you going to be doing? And that doesn't look safe. And why are you there? And you don't need to be up there. And all these things that a dad, they don't understand how much I love them. And, and, and children struggle, struggle understanding the love of a parent. But a parent doesn't fully understand the love of a parent until they become a parent. And all of a sudden, the things that you said, when I'm a dad, I'm never going to do this, you end up doing those things. You know why? You didn't get it before. You didn't understand the value of that, the importance of that is, I want to keep you safe, and I want to keep the relationship open, and all these things matter. Jenny said something to me the other day that absolutely shook me, and I, I mean, I knew these things were happening. She said, do you realize from this point, we have less than a year before Logan goes off to college? Jordan turns 20 the beginning of the year. Morgan gets her permit next year and turns 15 coming up at her next birthday. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I know kids can be annoying and I'm not saying that I want my kids being 30 years old living in my basement. Can I get an amen right there? And I'd like, grow up, get a job, kid. And then, you know, like, I, I love my kids. But, I, but until then, I, I, I love having them around. I love seeing them. I love talking to them. I, I, when I leave the house, I, I give them a hug. When I get back, I find them. When I, they, they are a joy in my life. They have value to me. They matter to me. Why is he saying, Dad? When you approach him as your father, remember, he is the one that delights in you. I, I, I want to pause on, oh, I'll pray in the power of prayer. You have to pray, 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 pray. No, stop for a minute. Do you know how much God delights in you. Sometimes we say it like this. It's like, I know prayer is important for me. Do you realize that prayer is important to God? Because of you. We, we, sometimes we don't fully understand this. In the beginning of creation, Jesus, the Bible says that he created Adam in his image. And he created Eve and he created them. And the Bible says that when they sinned, where was Jesus or where was God? God was walking in the cool of the day looking for them. To have fellowship with them, to be with them, to spend time with them. That was the desire of God from the very beginning. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You're not in the way. You're not an obligation to God. You're not just some peasant that needs him and needs your attention put on him. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says in Revelation 4.11, it says, For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure. Think about that. For thy pleasure. If God was to say, you know what brings me pleasure? It's my kids. God was saying, my people, the ones that live and breathe, the ones that worship me in church, the ones that open their Bibles, the ones that pray to me, the ones that sit there and say, I love you. Those are my kids. He delights in them. I remember when my kids were born. I remember holding them for the first time. I remember how gross it was. I remember how beautiful it was to sit and talk to them. 
as they fell asleep. I remember what it was like when they would wake up scared. And, and, and kids won't understand this. But I remember when they would, one, one time Logan got up in the middle of the night and he had a bad dream about a bear, okay? And he was running down the hallway, screaming, running from the bear. And I had to tackle him, literally tackle him and hold him there. And he was, his heart was racing and everything because he kept crying about this bear. And I'm holding him. And for him, it's just like, well, what's dad doing? For me, I love that moment. It's one of the, it's, it, for my mind, it's one of the greatest moments and memories that I have of my kid because once he realized that I was dad and I grabbed him in that darkness and I picked him up in that darkness, he clung onto me so tight because of the fact is that he realized who I was. I was his dad. He found in the midst of his fear something to hold on to, something that mattered, something that would protect him. He knew in his mind if there was a bear, I would give my life for that kid because I loved him. And God says, you know do you not get it? You're my children and I love you as a father. Get that. Judge, walk before him in a courtroom setting out of your mind. The Bible says in Psalm 149, verse 4, put this in your phone, put it on your screensaver, for the Lord takes pleasure in you. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He likes you stopping and talk to him. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't a have to. He was like, I know what's at the end of it. I get the joy of having my people restored with sin being taken out of the way. We forget that God delights in us. He delights in having our attention. He delights in the prayers that we say. He delights in this. When my kids were smaller, and uh, I, of course they're a lot older, when they were little, I, I remember going into uh, the, the house, and I'd have to go to Kroger, run up to Walmart or whatever, and I, I, I would love to just say, hey, does anybody want to run to the store with Daddy? That was a big deal to me. And, and, and I, I love it when they say, I'll go with you. I never wanted to force them or like, kid, you're going with me and you're going to like it. You know, and like, it, it wasn't a, I, I wanted to make them do it. I wanted them to jump up and say, daddy, I'll go. And, and to be honest, when they would go with me, it was a lot harder to go to the store with a little kid than it was just running by myself. You have to buckle them in. You have to hold their hand. Yeah, you, you, you don't have to do all this stuff to make sure that they're okay. That they're, we, we walked down the aisles and they're pointing out the cereal. And dad, can we walk through the toy aisle? And we always would go and get ice cream or do something, but it would be a thing. But I loved it. And I wanted them to want to be there. I wanted their attention. I wanted those moments to be with them. And every single moment that I had of all the conversation, the funny things they would say or singing along with the radio or whatever it is, I liked it. Look at Matthew 6, 6 differently. With all those things in mind, he says, when you pray, I want you to come in. I want you to shut the door. I want to pray to me as your father, not as your judge, not just as your creator, not as the one that gives you money, not as the one that just is the genie in the bottle that's going to come out and make everything right. I want you to talk to me as your father. It's different. We make prayer about what it does for us. I need you to remember what it does for God. He takes pleasure in you.
You're not wasting his time. When you approach him as your father, remember, he is the one that delights in you. He is the one that loves you. And I know that is so cliche to say. Now, when we approach Matthew 6, 6, and pray to thy father which is in secret. I'm going to revisit this, but I, I want you to understand what he's saying with this. He said to understand the father's love. There was a different day when I got home from that judge, and my dad knew that I was going to go do that. He thought it was funny. He was like, he said, they don't just throw out traffic tickets for 16-year-old boys, okay? I'm like, I was like, Dad, I'm going to show them. I'm going to say it. I've got my proof. I'm going to, you know, prove my case. And I walked in, and there's my dad sitting on the couch, and he was like, how did that go? And I, and I you know, I did like every kid does. I says, Father, can I approach the bench? And my dad was like, counsel, you may approach, but keep it brief. You know, it wasn't like that. I say it was like that with the courtroom, but I wasn't in the courtroom. I was with my dad. My dad was like, so how'd it go? I was like, dad, you were right. He was like, come here. And I remember sitting down and we did this thing where my dad kind of just like punched me on the shoulder. He goes, I told you. I said, you were right. Okay, you were right. I, I, I didn't get anywhere. I didn't get, I, I, I had to still pay it. And dad and I have to go to traffic school. He said, I told you. That's what you did. That's why you listened to your dad. I'm like, I know that's, but there wasn't any fear. There wasn't any restrictions there. You, you see, the Bible tries to get us to understand how much God loves us, and I know that. But you realize when he starts tying in to the Father, to the Father, to the Father, he says you also have to put on that train the understanding of the love of God. Now listen to this verse in 1 John 3, 1, when he's talking about the love of God. And we hit the word behold when we were going through uh, Dear Church series. But listen to this verse. He says, behold. That, that literally is something cool is about to be said. I need you to pause. I need you to get this. I need you to pay attention. I need you to focus. Look at this. It's so cool. What manner of love? What kind of love the Father has bestowed upon you? Not that you would be just a saved convict. Not that you would just be a restored drug addict. Not that you would just be a former person that had an affair. Not that you would be known for your past, but that you would be known because of the love of Father as a child of God. He calls you because of the sons of God. He says we should be called the sons of God. Do you understand your position in Christ? Do you understand, and the Bible makes it very clear, do you understand in that relationship, in that prayer, when you shut the door, when you're in that zone, when you walk into them, the Bible says, and, and, and it's explained in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in that room. There is no fear in God's love. You go to somebody that you're married to, or you're dating or whatever, and you say, listen, I've been cheating on you. I've messed up. I, I, I stole from you, whatever. You have to have that fear that they're going to leave you. Walk out and you say, no more. A child for you is unconditional. You never have to fear about him looking at you different. He's never going to throw you out. He's never going to turn his back on you. He's never going to say, I'm done with you. He's never going to kick you out. There is no fear in God's love. Actually, he says of this, he said that love, that perfect love, that indescribable love, the Father's love, kicks out fear. 
Do you understand who you're talking to? Do you approach prayer with the mindset of getting this? He delights in you. He loves you with an unconditional, I want you in my life. I died on the cross. I'll do anything. I promise you there's nothing that could be put between you and God. He won't break through. He won't tear it down. He won't climb over. He won't destroy it because of the fact is of how much he loves you. Let's throw out something right there. This, this whole attitude of like you're going before him as a priest. The Old Testament, this, because he even says that in Hebrews 4, 15. For we have not a high priest. Listen to this. You need to, get, you need to change your thinking here. Which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of this, because you understand of the Father's love and the relationship and the veil is to let us come, how? Boldly before the throne of grace. Literally mean on the other side of that door, when you shut the door, when you walk in there, there is an open thing to say anything, any way, open up your heart, come before him, love on him, and he will love on you, and there is nothing that can ever stop that love. See, your attitude of prayer will change when you approach him as your father, but secondly, when you speak to him as your father. Does anybody have a pet peeve that you could be on? You just say, I have a pet peeve. I almost did it. Raise your hand. Just be honest. Be honest. You have a pet peeve. Let me tell you some of my pet peeves. I've got some pet peeves. Usually a pet peeve will come out when you're doing something or explaining something, and you'd be like, by the way, don't do this. I was taking Morgan out the other day, and she's got a while before she even gets her permit, but she was like, Dad, can we go to the church and drive around. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Let's go to the church. And we came down here and stuff like this. She gets in the seat. She buckles up. And I said, okay, before we go, there's certain things. And I taught her to use her turn signal while we were driving around the car. And you said, there's no, no, no you got to understand. People that are jerks don't use a turn signal. You say, don't judge me. Can I say it again? I'm going to tweet this. Quit being a rude road hog. Got your pinky right here? Click. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to go to the gym to work out to be able to click. I'm going to cut in front of you. I'll let you know with a little light that blinks. That's not hard to do. Just, just to change lanes and people sit there and weave in and out or they, they, they drive up on people's bumpers like, get out of my way. I own this place. No, you don't. Quit being a bully. Quit being mean. It's like, I don't understand it. So I'm teaching my kids, don't do this. Here's another pet peeve that I have. Don't chew with your mouth open, okay? Can I get a witness on that? If you do, I'm not going to sit with you at no church function, okay? I'm going to be like, ah, oh, not the mountain. It looks like a compost machine. It's just, just stirring it all up and it's just falling out of your mouth and I teach my kids when we're sitting at dinner I'll be looking up and she said did you just chew with your mouth up no dad I didn't it's like no girl wants to go on a date with a guy that has a mouth compost that's just sitting there it's it's gross it's disgusting here's Jesus talking about prayer listen when he says he just is by the way it's like God sends his son down to the earth, and he says, when you talk about prayer, make sure they stop doing this. Yes, Father, when I get there, I'll tell them. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Do not. Do not. 
please do not be like the hypocrites. You see, they love praying standing in the synagogues in the corner of the streets that they might be seen of men. But I say unto you, they have their reward. And it had nothing to do with God. See, he, he says it so clearly. He says, don't do this. What he was saying is, don't be fake. And we struggle with this. When, when it comes to praying with what you're saying to God, we have it in our mindset that we struggle with this. He said, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Now, you've got to understand what a hypocrite was is somebody putting on a show. That's what it was. It's somebody, somebody being fake. It's, it's an actor under the assumed character. It's a stage player. That's what the word hypocrite means. Jesus was drawing a contrast about them doing this. Guys, we do this. It's easy for us in our lives to do this. I know a lot of you are staying at home with your kids, and your kids can be irritating. How many of you would just say being at home sometimes can be irritating with kids? Raise your hand like that. Okay, all right. Wow, some of you guys were like, woo, right here. It can be fun. I remember when I was a kid and, and doing that, and it's like, stop climbing on the bookshelf. Get that out of your nose. Did you just put that in your mouth? And I mean, just it's frustrating. Why are there Cheerios? Where did that spaghetti sauce come from? And you're just frustrated. Then it gets you, and you're yelling at your kids, and you're like, stop doing that. I told you one more time, and you're going to get it. And all this, then the door ring, and you open the door, and it's like, hi, how are you? Oh, my goodness, you got that for, you know, and, and all your kids are like, who is that? You know, it's like, that is not mom. It's like, then they close the door, and it's like, I told you. You know, it's like, yeah, we, we do that with God. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we have a bad day. We're frustrated. We're irritated. We're going through all the things. Life is frustrating. We, we have a bad day at work. And then somebody will say, honey, would you mind praying for the food? It's like, oh, God, we thank you today. You are so good. To, and God's up there going, who's, who's that? <laughs> yeah, you know, or somebody asks you to pray. And we, we put on this show. And we have all these words and all these things that we say. And it's all fake. I was saying they have their reward. You know what it is? Whatever they're getting on it, out of that, they're not getting it from me. Guys, like they're putting on a show over there. They're putting on a thing. It's not, God was literally saying, it, it irritates me. I thought of, of it like this. It says in verse 7, it says, but when you pray, use not vain repetition. It's something we struggle with. Empty words, religious phrases. If anybody has been saved for a while, it is something that's just a custom for us to do where we, we regurgitate religious jargon when we're talking. We do it when we're praying for meals. We do it when we're, somebody asks you to pray in church or whatever. Just get up and say, God, we thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's like, Jesus, Jesus. What are you actually saying? What are you thankful for? What are you asking for? I'm not saying that this is all bad, so don't judge me for saying this, but I would rather a thousand times over have a piece of paper from my kid and open it up and they said words to me as a Hallmark card that they paid $8 because it sings when you open it and they write their name at the bottom. And I think God feels the same way when it comes to our prayers. God's like, don't sit there and say, Father, we thank you today. And, you know, you're going through these, these religious things. And let, let me just, while we're saying it, just put some things out there to help us as Christians. We're talking about going before our Father to thank Him. We go before our Father to pray. When we're doing that and we have dinner or groups or gatherings or whatever, have any of you guys sat there and saw people do this? It's like they start sticking up their thumbs. Whoever is the last one not to stick up their thumb, they're the one that has to pray. 
Or we go to pray and everybody is like, not it. And I was with a group one time and they were doing, not it, not it. I was like, not what? They said, whoever says not it, the, the last is the one that has to pray. And I know it's, it's funny and it's something we do, but it just in the reality of what we're talking about, about being fake and all this, is it just a meal ticket that somebody has to repeat those final words? God, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Thank you for all the things that you do for us. In your Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. It's like, now eat. Okay, is it just a meal ticket? Is it just something that make you feel good that, oh, we didn't pray, we're gonna choke on our food? Do you, did you lose the concept of why we do it? Can you imagine for me as a dad to sit there and I provided for my kids and I worked all day and we have food in the house and Jenny did all this and then it's like Jenny goes up and says, one of you guys should thank dad for what he did for us for Christmas or whatever. It's like, not it, not it. It's like, yeah, okay, dad, uh, thank you for everything and you're a great dad. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, just be quiet. I don't care. Keep it to yourself. Not it. I'm not going to be the stuck one thanking the creator of the universe for being so good to me and providing everything that he has for me. I'm not getting stuck with that obligation. Fake, gross. And says, just, you have your reward. Just say your words and eat. You've lost the concept. You've lost the principle that you're praying to your God. Praying to your Father. Don't be fake. I'm going to close this with this. Just speak from your heart. This verse has a lot of application to it. Understand what God is driving towards of what prayer is. He says in verse 6, Enter in the closet when you have shut the door. Pray to your Father which is in secret. Visualize this. God already knows what you're going through. God knows what you're facing. God knows all these things, okay? Understand that. And God's saying this. He said, I, have you ever had it where... You're in the house and whatever, and I know me and Jenny have had these situations. What's wrong? Nothing, I'm fine. What's wrong? Nothing, I'm fine. Fake, fake, fake. Something is wrong. And then we get up to the bedroom and she shuts the door and she says, no, what's wrong? What's wrong? When you shut the door, you create an atmosphere of honesty to open up. You see, there's no more act. There's no more fake. Nobody's seeing you. No, the kids aren't around. You, you don't have to lie to me anymore. Quit being this way. Because of the fact is, when he said the secret, it's concealed. It's private. It's, it's a safe place. You're, you stepped into an environment that is just you and dad. And it's, it's, he delights in that. And he loves that. And he loves you. And there's nothing you can say in that secret place that's going to be put on Facebook. Nobody's going to walk out and nobody's going to tweet it. Nobody's going to rub it in your face. It's not going to come back to haunt you like when you talk to other people. When you talk to God in the secret place, you can say anything. And by the way, he already knows your heart. So when you sit there and you don't bring it up in your prayer, you are being fake before God. Let me explain to you how this works. You see in verse 8 when he says, For your father knoweth what things you have need of before you even ask him. It's not about you praying to inform him what's going on in your life. He already knows. You see, he already knows the anger. He knows that hurt that you had. He knows that breakup that you had. He knows what your husband said to you. He knows that you're broke. He knows that you might lose your job. He knows. He's your dad. You know, instead, he delights in you. He loves you. He won't walk out. He cares. But what God's trying to get you to do in that moment it's casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So it doesn't mean this. 
That doesn't mean that you cast your care by going to the altar, going to the front of a church, or going someplace and laying out all your bills because they're not going to get paid that way, okay? I'm just going to tell you. No, no, we don't have fairies that come in here and drop money on all those things, okay? And, a lot of, and I'm not saying that we don't bring our bills before God, but the idea is this. Look at this picture and get this idea. You go into your father, and you're heavy on your heart. You have so much, and you're so worried. You're so, and it's a matter of going to your father. You cast your care. Literally, that's the opening of your heart saying, Dad, I messed up. Dad, I can't do this. Dad, I'm so frustrated. I'm so afraid. And it's something weird about this atmosphere, this relationship that I can't explain to you. How a little kid that can sit there and fall on the ground and be bleeding or, or skin their knees or whatever, and they push through everybody. I'll go up to here. Are you okay? Ah, they push right through. What do they want? They're looking for mom or dad. That's all that they want. And they get there, and all of a sudden, everything starts getting better. Why? You were created by God. You were created to have God in your life. And for the world that goes around saying my life is terrible, they are disconnected from a source of comfort they were created to have. You were created to cast your care upon God. And a lot of people say, I don't feel like God cares about me. Do you realize for he cared for you follows cast your care upon him? You don't experience that with God. You'll never experience the comfort of being with God. You want that. You want it to be this instant fuzzy feeling that just comes over you. And God says, no, it doesn't work like that. It is when you experience God in your life, when you cast your care, when you fall, do you realize that it's the same thing when the Bible says be careful for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, that word careful is talking about anxiety. We live in a world of anxiety. You're going to have it whether you're a Christian or not because this world can be awful. People will cut you off. Your boss won't be fair to you. Your husband will say bad things. All these things are going to happen. It's going to happen in your life. I'm telling you, it's going to happen in your life. Do you know what you need to do? You open the door and you cast your care because you were meant to have that relationship with God to come before the one that created you to say, God, I need to cast these things off of me because they're holding me down. What does the world do when they can't fall into the lap or the arms of the Father? They turn to something else in the world to try to get that ease, to try to get that comfort, and nothing else works. I want us to look at prayer differently. We were having a yard sale. We were cleaning out our storage room. We have a bunch of these boxes in our basement. It is a box that has zero value to it. Absolutely zero value to it. Everything in here, if I would have stuck on the yard sale, they would have walked up and said, sorry, sir, you accidentally put out a box of trash. You didn't need it. Inside of it, I have, it's an envelope made out of duct tape. And inside of it is coupons. Jordan made this. Now, these are my kids long time ago. They don't look like this now. They're a lot bigger. Okay, just to get that idea this is, now they tower over me. But back in the day when they were of this mindset, they were a lot smaller. They were little. And I remember Jordan came in and said, I'll do the vacuuming. And man, there's a bunch of these things. Jordan, you messed up, bud. You should put an expiration date on these. I know it was 10 years ago. I'm going to hold some of them out just for like his wedding day. And then I'm going to be like, by the way, you need to go vacuum the house before you, you know, I was like, this meant the world to us. Inside here I have 
picture that they made of class. I've got these little notes from Morgan. She was leaving and she, I kept this. It, big deal to me. She says, dear daddy, she said, please, PLZ, please remember every morning to stop and check on Gus Gus. It's her, it's her hamster. He's got food and water, but check on him. She says, P.S., if my room starts to stink, please take pictures of my hamster wheel and send it to me. I'm like, I don't know what that was. P.S., again, please don't ask questions. I don't know what that means. I got another one in here, and she says this. Morgan wrote me, and she said, it's just scribble. And I mean, she was just a little, little bit of girl asking mom how to spell these things. Grammatically, it's not correct. A lot of the spelling's wrong. The colors are all over the thing. None of the pictures make sense. She said, I love you, Daddy, and the way you dance. That girl knows talent. There's another one she, she gave me, and it was, it's, it's, the, it's the, the Daddy Date Book Handbook, okay? And it's a playbook. And inside, she wrote out a bunch of things that we could do on date nights. So get popcorn, talk, snuggle, uh, do something fun. Uh, she's read a book, go to build a bear, eat. And you say, what is this? To, to you guys, this is just scraps of paper. It's pictures. It's all these little things. You have no idea. I've kept these because every word, every messed up expression, everything that they said means everything to me. They might not to you, but here's the thing. They're not your kids. But every time they say, Daddy, I love you. And Daddy, I enjoy being with you. And Daddy, I, I, I need, I, I want to do more things with you. And I appreciate you. You do. You don't understand. We make it so eloquent about going before God of I don't have the right words to say and I don't say it right and I don't know. You have lost the concept of understanding your dad. He values every broken prayer. And every time you sit there, you mumble through the words and the times that you can't get the right words out and you're just full of tears and you're sitting there mumbling in your car. And he holds on to every word of every prayer, of every tear, of everything that you say. And he says, that matters to me. I value that. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm listening. I care. I'm there. I love you. And you have no idea how much I care for you. We've got to reboot our minds and our attitudes of prayer. And some people say, I wish I could pray like those Christians that have been saved forever. I think some Christians that have been saved forever need to learn how to pray like the new ones. Dad, I don't know what to say, but I know that I love you. And I'm not doing good. And you already know that. And I'm trying to be good, and I mess up a lot. And I've already said this to you, but I'm telling you again, God, I'm sorry. And I want to do what's right. And I want to be close to you. And I want to love you. And I need you. You just fall on the arms and lap of that, your daddy, and you just cry. You walk out of there differently, I promise you. You say, that doesn't make sense. There's a, there's a connection that was made from the very beginning that you were made to have God in your life. How are you praying? Are you approaching God as your father? Being honest, are you? Are you praying to God as your father? You can cut the show, throw out the religious jargon, cut out the acting. It's vain, empty, void. He wants you. Your prayers that color outside the lines, the pictures that don't make sense, the words that are misspelled, and the heart 
just want your dad.